Ethan Warren, you wrote an impressive bit of scholarship that argues quite persuasively that the Muppet Christmas Carol is the best adaptation of A Christmas Carol. Um, One, congratulations. And two, how dare you, sir? Okay, so uh, do we have a disagreement on our hands? Because I've I've seen them all. Not at all. We do not. Okay, good. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, now in its 18th year, number 889, Muppet Christmas Carol. Ethan Warren is a film critic and author who's written for Lit Hub, the LA Times Review of Books, and wrote American Apocrypha, the cinema of Paul Thomas Anderson. But more importantly for our purposes, Ethan is a longtime fan of the Reduced Shakespeare Company and wrote a fantastic article for Brightwall Dark Room about how The Muppet Christmas Carol is the best adaptation of Charles Dickens's novella. I was thrilled to dig deep into Ethan's thinking and analysis about all things Christmas Carol. I actually, I have been binging all of them again for something I've been working on this year. I've seen 25 Christmas Carols, uh, well, 24 technically, um, in the past month or so. And I only feel more strongly that this is the most extraordinary one of them, the Muppet Christmas Carol, Brian Henson's Muppet Christmas Carol. Well, and you take it, 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 to to reduce your uh, argument, you 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 seem to maintain that the that the Muppets most accurately captured the voice, the literary voice of Charles Dickens, which implies the opposite, the obverse, that Charles Dickens was in fact the first Muppet. Essentially, yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're if you're adapting the Charles Dickens of it all, you could do it a couple of ways. You could just take the language and a lot of adaptations take some portions of the language and put them in the mouths of a narrator or often Fred or, or Bob Cratchit. Um, you know, Marley was dead to begin with. We always got to have that in there um, and always end with, uh, you know, Scrooge was better than his word. But what the Muppet Christmas Carol does is it it, it uses a lot of Dickens language, which I adore, but what it does with Gonzo is more that it embodies Dickens sort of joie de writing. Um, huh. he, he is such an ecstatic narrator in this book and he is so very present as he's not like, Hey, I'm Charles Dickens. And I'm writing this book, but he's, he's writing in the first person frequently as the narrator. And so you are imagining Charles Dickens right at your shoulder speaking to you as you're reading this book and so by using gonzo the way they do as this sort of you know sticky slapsticky guy you're you're getting at something for 20th century audiences and now 21st century audiences that will touch a similar to button to the way dickens was using his own comic voice is my belief i'd never thought of it that way but i think you're exactly right and what I'm discovering now in my second year of performing Scrooge uh, at, at the Goodman Theater here in Chicago, I, I'm discovering that Dickens's voice is more 
wiseacre and comic than I think we typically appreciate. They got Absolutely. it. His his reader, 19th century readers understood that, but we have lost how irreverent Dickens was even in his in writing his own stories. Absolutely. I mean, I really love the first paragraph of A Christmas Carol, which is Marley was dead to begin with. He was dead as a doornail. And then Dickens goes on like three or four little switchbacks of like, and why am I saying doornail? I don't know. What's so dead about a doornail? Maybe a coffin nail is more dead anyway, but actually it doesn't matter because the value of the simile is all that matters and our country's done for if I even mess with this. Anyway, why are you bothering me about this anyway? Marley was dead to begin with is essentially the first paragraph of the book. And there are all of these little pockets of weirdness that get plucked out over the years. Like um, when, when Dickens all of a sudden falls into a frenzy of lust over Scrooge's uh, lost love. Um, or what else? Oh, when, when he uh, starts begging the reader to introduce us, introduce him rather to, uh, to anyone who is as blessed in a laugh as Fred trying to get us to play friend matchmaker for him. It's <laughs> a very silly book. Um, and that, done, I don't know, it, it just gets stripped away as we get down to the sort of the, the bare bones version that um, everyone then builds out for their own purposes in adapting it. Well, and I think too, I mean, I've always, I would of course always argue this and I have done that, you know, humor, that kind of humorous narration puts the reader and the audience at ease and then they don't they don't see they're they're e they're more surprised by the more serious and or touching moments that come across whereas a a presentation that's more solemn and serious and filled with gravitas and tragedy this like oh we get it already shut up just god blesses everyone let's get out of here totally yeah, there's a term, um, the sort of the the color wheel of storytelling or, or of emotionality. And and I do think that in a story, the more, um, you know, brush strokes with, with different colors on the color wheel you can use, the more effective the story is going to be. You know, Paul Thomas Anderson is, is my major uh, area of focus. I, I wrote a book on him. And um, even his most serious movies are hysterically funny at times. Yeah, and it makes the the seriousness all the more sort of important to me, versus something that just keeps hitting you over the head again and again with the solemnity. And interestingly, about Paul Thomas Anderson and the Dickens of it, his movies frequently go on about twenty minutes or a half an hour longer than you think they should, as if, like Dickens, he was being paid by the word in serialized uh, yeah. installments. Yeah, coming up with it as it went along. And boy, you know, in some of those earlier ones, that is more or less what he was doing. Rewriting is, can I work blue on this podcast or not? Yes, yes. Rewriting is for pussies, said Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> I mean, the other great thing about your article, um, which I will link to uh, on the podcast page, is is, is that it it seems like you intentionally tried to capture Dickens's irreverent voice as well, which makes it very readable. W was that conscious or is that just the way you write? Um, a little of both. It was definitely, I, I mean, I, I wrote the piece in staves. It's in five staves. Um, 
And once I clocked the irreverence on the the reread of the book that led into the essay, it it did meet sort of that um, that wavelength. But my my biggest um, influence on this kind of writing is someone like Chuck Klosterman, um, mm. who just you know just really sort of irreverent pop culture that also uses its irreverence to pop culture writing rather that uses its irreverence to get at uh, maybe some theories that uh, are are a little out there, like his beliefs in uh, Britney Spears, you know, cultural currency, uh, for example, or what I thought was a rather, <clears throat> excuse me, iconoclastic opinion and is, has actually turned out to be uh, wildly a popular opinion that the Muppet Christmas Carol is the best adaptation. <laughs> well, and you defend, you, you make the case very, very well. A and it's interesting that you don't even, you don't even um, get into the thing I think it is 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 brave as not brave. The thing that I think is most fundamental to its success is the casting of Michael Caine, who who absolutely refuses to act like he's in a Muppet movie. He absolutely plays it straight. And as much as I love and revere the Alistair Sim version of the film and his performance. There is something about Michael Caine's naked emotionality um, that I feel like I'm drawing upon when I'm playing Scrooge. I mean, those Sim and Caine are the two Scrooges that I'm drawn to the most when I'm acting him. That's really interesting. Uh, well, what I love about Caine's performance is that he really is allowed to underplay it because everything around him is so big. Right. If you have naturalism around Scrooge, I think it's it's easy to heighten Scrooge. Right. Um, and when you have such extreme unnaturalness around him, Kane then really dials into the um yeah, like you say, the emotionality, the <laughs> when he is crying by Scrooge's graveside, it is the one of the <laughs> most, I will say something so iconoclastic. Him and Henry Winkler in An American Christmas Carol are my two favorite Scrooge graveside <laughs> scenes. Um, both, I think, very powerful and impactful. Well, I mean, it's 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 not often one champions the performance of Henry Winkler's American Scrooge. Um, uh, I mean, uh, people people love George C. Scott. I haven't seen it. It's been a it's been a long time since I've seen Mr. Magoo. I have a great fondness for the Albert Finney Scrooge in the musical, Absolutely. which I, I saw on a fourth grade birthday party with a bunch of fourth <laughs> graders. And, um, and, and, and I remember his performance as being huge. A, a sniveling sort of broken jawed creature. It's really, it's fabulous, yeah. How much are you taking from Jim Carrey? Very little. Good. You're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Hi, I'm Bob Mondello, and as critic for NPR's All Things Considered, I can vouch by listening to these guys, you are definitely considering all things. Mm -hmm. 
Where can you RSC the RSC? We'll be performing the complete history of Comedy Abridged in California in February, Michigan in March, and Virginia in April of 2024. Check out the touring page at our website, ReducedShakespeare.com, or our social media pages for venue and ticket information. Now back to my conversation with author Ethan Warren talking about his love of all things Christmas Carol. What brought you to um, your uh, nerd nerdery slash expertise on Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol? Uh, my dad reading it to me uh, as, as a kid, every Christmas, we would read it over the course of a couple of nights and I just cherished that and I looked forward to it and I counted down to it. Um, and if only my kids weren't, <laughs> weren't so spooked so easily, I could, uh, I could pass that tradition down now, but you know, maybe when they get a little bit older. Um, and I just, I read it so many times it, it got into my bones and then I watched so many of the movies and it's... It's so simple, this story, um, and it's so sort of perfectly, uh, it's, it's such a perfect canvas to build on um, for everybody from you to, to Rich Little to, to put their own spin on it. Have you seen that one? It's been a while. It's I think I saw it once as a kid, the Rich it's, Little Christmas Carol. It's kind of terrific. I kind of love that thing. Rich Little's Christmas Carol, where he plays every role as a different celebrity circa the mid-1970s. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful time capsule. Please tell me that your article will be will include clips. So actually, I'll just I'll just break it here now, and it'll you know depending on when you post it, maybe it won't be uh, news. Uh, we're doing video essays uh, every day of um, December. There'll be a new video essay on an adaptation of a Christmas Carol where I grade them on a set uh, parameters, and we will be doing those as an advent calendar, working chronologically up until. Uh, yeah, last year's Spirited with Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell. A great adaptation. Not well, an adaptation. Not an adaptation. A, a direct sequel. It's yes, a, a great sequel. movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A great sequel and very much in the spirit. I remember I remember watching that after we had opened. Mm -hmm. Um and it was so great to see it was very reduced in that sense, a, a, a loving, irreverent celebration of the material I had be, I had just spent six weeks working on. Yeah. Yeah. And Will Ferrell's brief take on Scrooge is uh, it's not bad. And to what degree, Ethan, does the reduced Shakespeare company uh, enter into your uh, uh, your scholarship and your expertise about things cultural? Boy, I mean, my history with the Reduced Shakespeare Company is is pretty lengthy at this point. Um, I did did speech team in high school, and every year, like the great privilege for the seniors was that four of four of the guys would get to do the Reduced Shakespeare ten minute the reduction of the reduction, <laughs> uh, the ten minute version as as a multiple. And God, we just loved that thing so much. We looked forward to it every year that you just brought the house down. Um, and then I got really into Shakespeare and just found what y'all do such a, a rich resource. Um, you know, it's it's taking these things that are so um, seem so unapproachable 
and finding the ways into them in a way that that opens them up rather than like you know parody can shrink things it can it can make them seem less enticing and less exciting and and what you folks do is is you you make these things seem so exciting and intriguing through um the amount of fun that you can have with it um you know if, if you can have this much fun with shakespeare shakespeare must be an awful lot of fun and i can't exactly say that's a direct influence on my essay but why the heck not yeah if i hadn't read so much and listened to so much of and listen to this podcast you know i i was telling my wife this morning back when she was just my girlfriend and i was driving to visit her at, at her parents house i would listen to the reduced shakespeare company podcast so wow that's a little great. bit surreal well i love all of that obviously um but but i also it brings me back to the muppets i mean i do think to the degree that the RSC has any value, has any long lasting cultural value, it's that we maybe are a gateway drug and introduction to um, literary works and sometimes history, depending on the show or the script you've seen or read. Um, but the Muppet Christmas Carol is a great introduction to one of the greatest stories ever written and if that's and if that's a child's introduction to this novel and then they read it later i think they'll be amazed at how at, at your point which is that how much the muppets captured what was true and beautiful and and wonderful about charles dickens and what was beautiful about the muppets it's it's this amazing meeting in the middle um you know i i had a fondness for muppet treasure island as a kid watching it as an adult it's just not the same it, there there wasn't that alchemical magic somehow of of the uh, source material and the interpreters i had a friend uh say on uh on i think it was on blue sky that he he's still waiting for the muppet hamlet because mm. can you imagine the murder of gonzo the great oh my god That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, except for one more thing, which I'll share with you in about 60 seconds, so stick around. You can find links to Ethan Warren's Muppet Christmas Carol article on our podcast page, as well as a link to his Christmas Carol Advent Calendar video essays, which you can also find at oneheatminute.com. Then send us the founder of your feast via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com or throw a comment to us over on the socials or on our own actual website, reducedshakespeare.com or visit my website, theshakespeareance.com. You can also follow Ethan Warren on Twitter at Ethan underscore Warren underscore and on Blue Sky at ethanwarren.bsky.social. Thanks, as always, to Angelic Symbol of Innocence, Tiny Matthew Croak, Web Services by Ginger Power Limited, Music by John Weber and Garage Band, and this week by Eric Essex, whose holiday album, My Gift to You, is in my regular rotation this time of year. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Joe Keefe. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to NPR film critic Bob Mondello, who, as far as I know, has never weighed in on the Muppet Christmas Carol, and as always, thanks very much to you for listening. Please continue to stay safe and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Titchener, 889 ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. Muppet Wuthering Heights has always kind of been the one that I've longed for, and I, I 
I guess I don't know who the one human would be, but there's a lot of good options. Would Heathcliff be the human or which Muppet would play Heathcliff? Yeah, I know. A, a windswept Kermit, I guess. I don't know. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. So much less. So much less. So much less. So much less.